We all have to be role models of the behavior that we want. We have to encourage each other, recognize each other for the behaviors that we want, motivate by inspiring and rewarding the behavior we want, not focusing on the one we don't want. It's the carrot stick. On this Interview Wednesday episode of A Call to Leadership, I asked the question, is an unwavering standard of organizational excellence possible? What would it take to create an experience that has the power to transform not only the lives of clients, but employees as well? Is that too lofty? Is it romanticized of a vision? Well, I've asked an expert in this service excellence space, Ms. Amanda Joyner, General Manager of the St. Louis Ritz-Carlton Hotel, to share the high-impact story of how and why the Ritz built its reputation on a gold standard and how you, too, can build a culture of excellence as a leader worth following. I'm Dr. Nate Sala. Can't wait for you to join us. This is A Call to Leadership. Miss Amanda Joyner, so good to have you on the show today. Thanks. Thanks for being here. And it's been a minute. So we've been trying to get you on the show because you are so important to the show. Oh, please. Busy, maybe. Busy, important, busy. no. <laughs> well, I really wanted you on the show for a number of reasons. One, many of our audience members are interested in unpacking what excellence looks like in a business environment. And the Ritz-Carlton is known... For excellence. And having you on the show, especially someone who's not only been in leadership, but has been at many levels of the organization, it's invaluable because we can really start talking about what it takes to have uncompromising excellence and what it looks like. <laughs> and so as someone who has recently had my very first experience at the Ritz, mm. I get to look at it from another vantage point too, as someone who was a guest. Yeah, of course. And it's a super cool experience that we'll get to share together. So as we begin to unpack this, I really wanted to start at the beginning. Okay. You know, what brought you to the Ritz? And let's talk about how you got to be at the top level of mm. your hotel. So I always wanted to pursue the hospitality industry when I went into college. I was like, ooh, hotels, glamorous, sounded so fantastic. I grew up in Michigan, and they didn't have... Ritz-Carlton's where I grew up. At the time, Ritz-Carlton was really a very new hotel company. So I was working at the Hyatt at the time. I was an inspectress in housekeeping. So my job was to check 300 rooms a day. And that's what I did. And a uniform with a beeper was pretty funny. So there was a position open at the Ritz-Carlton just down the street, Atlanta, Ritz-Carlton downtown. And I thought, well, gosh, I want to apply for this job. At the time, Ritz-Carlton was really in the infancy of being a hotel company. We were 10 hotels when I joined the company, so five to seven years in the marketplace. And there was a buzz in the industry and on the street about this company and this philosophy they had. And at the time, it was scary, honestly. I was scared to death. I thought, oh, my gosh, who is this company? Will I be good enough? Will I make the cut and exceed expectations. So anyway, I applied for the job. I was hired as a housekeeping manager at the Ritz-Carlton Atlanta, and I was with the company eight years. I left for two, and I've been back for 18, so a total of wow. 26 years, yeah. And I only left the company because at the time I was really seeking a position that wasn't available. My mentor was in the job, and I thought, you know, I can wait and wait, but pursued something else. At the Embassy Suites, I left a luxury space and was in select service for a small period of time, and then I came back. So, 
yeah, did I answer your question? You did. So the Embassy Suites, of course, owned by the Hilton Group. Yeah. When I joined Embassy, they were not owned by Hilton. They bought that brand while yeah. I was with that company. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Because there's differentiation in brands. For sure. Did you notice going from Ritz to Embassy back to Ritz? Yeah. Did you notice very clear distinctives that you saw were, okay, this is one of the reasons why Ritz is considered a luxury brand versus an Embassy Suites? Yeah, you know, of course, right? Yeah. I think what people initially think of when they think of luxury or full service or select service, my perception is they tend to think about physical things, right? Like, oh, they're prettier lights, more expensive carpets. So I'm in a luxury hotel and I'll pay more. So I knew when I left Ritz-Carlton, which a lot of my friends in the luxury space were like, what are you doing? Why are you going over there? And I was in sales at the time and when you introduce yourself to a customer and say, I work for Ritz-Carlton, people went to talk to you and it's lovely. But when I was in sales, I wanted to make sure that I was good at what I did without having the opportunity to just say, I work for Ritz-Carlton first. I needed to test myself to make sure I was really good. But I think the philosophy of wanting to take care of customers is something within you. It has nothing to do with luxury or not luxury. So if I seek out someone to hire who worked for Holiday Inn, it's not about where they come from or if they've been in a luxury environment. It's about who they are as a person, what they believe in, what their values are. We can teach them the stuff. Yeah. It's really whether they care. So I guess your question is, you know, did I notice a difference? Absolutely, right? I mean, we didn't have things that we provided together. We didn't do turn down service, right? We didn't have second service. You know, our restaurant was licensed out and it wasn't our employees working there, all that kind of stuff. But the way I went to work every day when I was at the Embassy Suites didn't change because I worked at Embassy Suites. I didn't say, oh, I don't want to take care of the customer. It didn't really change. I mean, I still answered the phone the same way. I still had the same philosophy. I still had the same passion and intensity. Yeah. I just represented a different brand. Well, you um, brought something up that I think is really important because, you know, you talked about the difference between a character trait yeah. and a competence, right? And so Stephen Covey, the old yeah. author, right, who yeah. famously wrote the, ha the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, yeah. Yeah. and some of our audience members would remember me saying this, and it bears repeating, that he said that the pillars of trust are competence and character. You need both to be trustworthy. You can have lots of character and have zero competence and you can't be trusted necessarily to complete the work and mm -hmm. vice versa. You can have lots of competence and no character and not be trusted to complete the work effectively, right? So you brought that up because it's important for people to recognize, can you teach character or is your organization better served by having folks join your company who have those character traits already instilled and you teach the competence piece? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I think... I do not believe you can teach someone to care. They either do or they don't. I don't fundamentally believe that you can teach someone to care. But we can teach you and we can grow your skill, maybe by definition care, but you don't really understand what that means, right? You bring pride and integrity to work. Well, I can teach you how to resolve a guest opportunity. I can teach you how to build a relationship. I can teach you problem resolution. I can teach you how to listen effectively. But if you don't care about doing your best and you don't care about having integrity, I, that's probably not something I can teach you. We can help enhance it, certainly. Yeah. But fundamentally, that's what we're seeking when we're, we're seeking employees 
is when I talk to them, it's not whether or not they've worked in the industry or not, or whether or not they worked at a luxury hotel. It's really helpful, but it's not why I hire someone at all. And it's not why I think Ritz Carlton hires someone. I mean, when I was hired, I worked for a convention hotel. So I knew the industry, but I hope to think that I matched with the culture that we are. That's the thing. It's That's the secret sauce. It's not anything more than that. You know, I talk to my ladies and gentlemen all the time about in our bathrooms. We're an older Ritz-Carlton hotel, certainly been modernized, beautiful appointments, but we have a one sink bathroom in our king rooms, one sink. Well, in America today, everyone at home, mostly, certainly top 1% of income earning guests certainly have two sinks in their bathrooms, but guests don't make purchasing decisions on a hotel solely on whether you have two sinks in your bathrooms. So there are hotels that we compete against that have two sinks and we have one, but that's not what's going to make a memory for a guest is another sink. It's not. So it's not just the stuff, the functional things. They're really sinking and experience something differentiating, right? Yes, that's it. Boy, you're hitting all of my buttons, if you will. I love this. Yeah, the culture, the experience. Those are all essentials, I believe, to ultimately living up to your mission, your vision, your values. And I agree in some ways that the soft skills can be taught, different procedures can be taught. As far as character traits, they evolve over a long period. Absolutely. So in one sense, yes, you can start out with very little integrity. And then through your life, you might be in different environments that shape your integrity and you change. But in an employment environment, that lag time is too critical of a time and it's not an effective way to hire because I don't have 10 years to help you to become a person of integrity, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have 10 years to teach you how to care or even five years or two years. Mm -hmm. That's just not enough time. And the cost to trying to bring you on and teach you that Mm -hmm. far outweighs the benefit. So it's not necessarily that people can't learn to care at some point, right? I mean, people change over time, but in an employment environment, it just doesn't make sense to try to get people to move in that direction over a short period of time. So I'm in the same boat as you, where when I employ people, one of the first questions I ask is, do you have a servant's heart? Mm. Because we want to employ people in our firm that truly desire to serve. And I can teach you that, but that's got to be outside of, that's got to be like, Nate's going to mentor you for the next two years and show you about what it means to have a servant's heart. Or maybe someone will listen to the podcast Mm. over the course of 30 episodes and say, wow, you know, there's something to that servant's heart. There's some benefit that I can grow and give through that. And your culture, like you said, your culture. And I think it's important to even talk about this as a tangent, because as leaders, we're required to shepherd and to guide, right? Our followers are non-leaders, everyone on the team. And part of that guidance is protecting them because we want to put them into an environment where they feel safe Mm, enough mm. to do their best possible work. So they don't expend any energy in trying to protect themselves and feel safe. And part of that is I'm going to protect the culture. Mm. No one's getting into this culture that doesn't share the values that we share. In other words, you know, are we all in the same tribe? Now, that doesn't mean that there's not diversity. We love diversity, and I'm sure you'll speak on that. Yeah, sure. But it's diversity within the rowing boundaries, if you will, because we have to all be rowing together, right? Because as soon as one or two or three people are rowing in a different direction, 
it creates confusion, lack of continuity. Yeah. And I'm sure you've had people in your organization that sometimes, because we're not perfect, we try to bring people on 100% of the time yeah, that are just yeah. perfect fits, but they're not always. Right. And so when you're bringing people on, you know, what's the process? Sure. How do you know that these guys are going to strive for excellence? Yeah. So, I mean, first, it's all about the questions that you ask in the interview. We're looking for specifics. And it's not, do you care about people? And they say, yes. Guess what? Everybody says yes in an interview. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, of course. And if they don't, then that's a big tell, right, that they don't understand. But it's really about just talking to them, making them feel comfortable, making them realize that, the opportunity to interview them is equally their opportunity to interview us. Mm. Um, I always ask, and so do my leaders, you know, do you know about the Ritz-Carlton? Tell me what you know about the Ritz-Carlton. And sometimes people have the wherewithal to come to the interview prepared to do that legwork, and lots of people don't. And so I always introduce culture in the interview process because there are in the hotel industry, I mean, I have 300 employees on my team. So you're right. We don't get 300 at-bats hiring employees perfect every time, right? But what we do is we introduce our gold standards to them through what we call our credo card, right? So it's our culture that we kind of carry in our pocket. But I really ask them questions specifically related to how they feel about serving guests. I ask for examples. Their examples tell a lot. Personal experience, I tell them to be specific in their answers. And we just have dialogue and a conversation. And when you just talk to someone, you can unpack, if you will, pretty quickly if there's a genuine care there, right? I don't expect it to have them walk in and know all the functional aspects of their job, it's impossible. And I don't really care. I don't. I do not care. But I hope we identify an opportunity where they do care and they want to learn and they want to grow. That credo card, the gold standards, really gives them that aspect. And if I'm unsure, they take. I give my card to them. I ask them to think about it because they're really making an important step. Even if they're going to be an on-call valet parker in school, working in high school or college, and they're going to work three shifts month they have lots of choices on where they can work yeah and we're not the easiest i'm very upfront about that i think we're the most empowering environment i think we provide a huge level of trust with our employees to take care of the guests so if you really want to learn and grow we're the place to do it but we're not always the easiest right if you just want to push buttons and check in guests go maybe you should do it somewhere else because it's probably easier they have less expectations to do it in a genuine, caring way where you're creating a memory at the same time and welcoming them into your home. It's not just function, right? It's a greater purpose. And you set the standard as the leader, right? So two things I think are definitely worth mentioning. One is that in that whole process, you're setting your people up for success, right? Because it's our responsibility to bring people on who we believe will be successful. 100%. Right? And so that's one big piece. And then the other is setting an expectation the way I see it, whatever you set, and of course, this is vision, right? Vision 101 in terms of like leadership, you know, vision is what's been called the fuel that leaders run on, right? Mm-hmm. So why not set the vision at the highest possible standard? Because if you set it at the low standard, that's what you'll aim for, right? You set it at the high Absolutely. standard, that's what you'll aim for. And not everyone desires to reach the highest possible standard, but those who do, you get the highest possible standard for the experience too. So teaching at the university level. I used to teach in person. Mm. And now, of course, a lot of it's online. But when I would go in the first class in person, 
I'd look at the students and I'd say this course, whatever the course I was teaching, whether it was business policy or strategic management or intro to entrepreneurship, I'd say this course might be one of the most difficult courses that you take in your academic journey. Because my vision for you, my standard for you is for you to become academic Navy SEALs. And inevitably, some of the students would say, I don't want to be a Navy SEAL. They'd go back to the director or the dean and say, hey, I, this is an elective. You know, I don't, I, and they're like, stick with this class. Mm. When you get done with this class, you will be better for it. Mm. You will reach a standard that you didn't think was achievable. Mm. And I think for organizations, you know, isn't it beautiful to just strive, like you said, that gold standard. Mm. But setting the vision out isn't enough. Right? You've got to prepare your people. 100% correct. So where does, as an educator, I hold this very dearly, where does education come into the equation for getting your people to... Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. So so part of why I love working for the Ritz-Carlton and I've been working for the company for 26 years is we are very transparent about what we expect. So on the very first day that you're in in orientation and you have to go through orientation before we let you do anything, speak to guests, begin to learn on board, you cannot talk to guests, right? You cannot wash dishes. You can't do any job that we hire you for without going through orientation because orientation, which is three days, really lets the ladies and gentlemen understand what's expected of them. So on day one of orientation, we won't teach them how to clean rooms or wash dishes or how to check in a guest or how to sous vide the fish, right? But we will absolutely on day one after four hours be able to teach them how to make the right decision of our company. And that is why Ritz-Carlton, I believe, is so successful worldwide with over 105 hotels, right? More outside of the United States than in because we are very clear on what our purpose, vision, mission, and what aligns us, which is our gold standards. It's prescribed, right? And we teach that on day one. I personally, all general managers around the world, I teach two hours and I teach them what our credo is, which is our mission. I introduce the company vision, which is to inspire life's most meaningful journeys, right? And after day one, I say to all the ladies and gentlemen, you are going to make a critical decision tonight. And the decision that you're going to make is whether or not you want to come back tomorrow. Because what we've talked to you about today is truly who we are transparently. And if this doesn't feel good in your stomach, like in your soul, like, oh my gosh, they're crazy. This doesn't resonate with me. Please don't come back, please. And I tell them, I probably say, don't come back five times in my two hours. And it is not because I don't want them there. I need them. But this is transparently who we are, right? And I ask them to really think about the words, think about the credo, think about our gold standards as I'm teaching them. Because then they know what's expected. It's not a surprise. It's very transparent. And then we also ask every lady or gentleman to complete homework after one day, right? Which is they have to memorize and on day two, come to orientation, being able to recite the three sentences of the credo. And at first, our ladies and gentlemen and I, very transparent, you think, oh my gosh, I don't speak in front of others. I'm not in sales. English isn't my primary language. I'm nervous, right? I don't care if someone says a word incorrectly instead of ambiance, they say ambionic. I don't care, right? But you cannot make the words come to life, which is what we expect you to do at the job if you don't know what the words are. It is physically impossible for you to own the content of the words if you don't know what the words are, right? 
And I have been moved to tears where we have hired someone where English was not their language that they were raised in, right? And I've taught our philosophy and our gold standards. And I thought, gosh, I hope they're understanding. I've taught orientation where there was an interpreter present, right? And I thought to myself, I hope they can recite the credo because we don't give on it, by the way. We don't say, oh, you can't learn it, so it's okay, right? So if they cannot recite the credo on the second day of orientation, then the first scheduled day of work, we give them time to learn the credo, right? Because maybe they can't learn it on an overnight. And without fail, within 99% accuracy, most employees can say it on day two of orientation, right? They stand up, they say it, it's a rite of passage, but they then learn what the words are. And that makes it clear. And if someone doesn't come back, it is a good thing, it's a blessing. They need to be happy. There are so many job opportunities out there. They need to flourish. And if they don't think they're going to be happy, don't come back. It's critical. But that's really the first step. If you can't say what the words are and know what they are, then how are you going to bring them to life? How are you going to be inspired by them? How are you going to use your empowerment? Right? You can't because you don't even know the philosophy. So I think I I answered your question. I I absolutely love that. Yeah. Yeah, A couple things that's really stuck out. And we'll get to the credo and the card because it's nails. One, you said that you teach them to make decisions. Yeah. And so how we make decisions. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. So that's an empowerment piece. And I want to get to that. Yeah. And the other part you said it's prescriptive. So it's not just descriptive. And I think for our audience, maybe I can break that down. When it's descriptive, we're simply explaining what something is. When we're prescriptive, it's like a prescription, like a doctor's prescription. You would actually say you're going to take this, this, and this because it's going to make you feel better. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So in leadership, we have a lot of descriptive leadership and we have prescriptive leadership, but you made that point. And it's so important to that our people need to be prescribed the how and the why For sure. and the what. Absolutely. Without question. And what I love about our gold standards is it teaches so many different things. So it teaches you our philosophy about our external guests. It teaches you our philosophy of how we take care of our internal ladies and gentlemen. It teaches you the how we do it through our three steps of service for sure. It does all of those things. But when you're talking about 300 ladies and gentlemen that all come from different backgrounds, history, heritage, religion, right, ethnicity, it's not always prescribed exactly how to take care of unique needs of guests because they are by definition unique. Right. They're not all the same. We don't send everyone chocolate chip cookies because I'm gluten intolerant. We don't do everything exactly the same way. We give a general framework of how to take care of guests But it's not exact. Because if it's exact, then all of a sudden it's a homogenized experience. And that's not what our guests are seeking. And it's certainly not what they pay a premium for, for sure. Well, and that's from the military. We can take centralized command and decentralized execution, Mm -hmm. right? You decentralize the execution. But the decentralized execution is based on a number of steps and processes that go into play before that, right? So you can't just say, okay, hey, you've got all kinds of leeway to do this, this, and this without actually prescribing and teaching on why and how we do that, right? So something that came up that was super interesting to me was this level of empowerment based on a certain dollar amount that can be given. And this is shared also with Disney. We studied Disney Mm. at length, and I did a lot of my research on Disney. I worked there. You did. I was an MKCP, Magic Kingdom College Program. So Go figure. I can totally see that. Yeah, Yeah. I was an MKCP. (laughs) So, yeah. yeah. No, they're an incredible organization. Really good stuff. Similar values, right? Similar desire for maximizing the quality of the experience, right? And so 
the empowerment at Disney is that there's a card at the parks where you can, somebody, child drops a ice cream cone, you can walk right into the ice cream shop and give them another scoop, right? Sure. Or three scoops or whatever it is. Yeah. What does that look like at Ritz? I'm sure it's more than an ice cream cone sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we do put a dollar value on it. However, when I tell the ladies and gentlemen what the dollar value is, which is, by the way, $2,500, right? It's a number to make them go, wow, that's a lot. Because it's not the dollar value, but it makes them listen, if you will. It really is saying, we trust you to do whatever it takes to take care of the guest and to make sure that you really believe us. I'm going to give you a number that's pretty high so that that way you're certain we mean it. And quite honestly, that number is there so they really (laughs) will use the empowerment that we give them. Lots of times when people join our organization, they're like, oh, yeah, you say you trust us. But, you know, I work somewhere else. And when I sent someone a bottle of champagne, I got asked lots of questions. And so I don't believe you. And so that's really an orientation when I teach that. I go over it. That's like a couple of nights stay at the hotel, parking, breakfast, dinner, right, at the Ritz-Carlton St. Louis. It's a lot. You can give it all away for free. But then I also teach, really, the customers we serve and how we have to be profit leaders, right, for our owners that own the physical building. Because if we don't, then we don't exist. So it's a whole triangular education about what makes us successful. And they'll certainly probably give too much one time. But if they never take care of the guest, they don't actually do something to take care of the guest, then we won't have them anymore. So it doesn't matter. We've already lost the revenue. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, the profit leader perspective, because someone listening says, you know, I'm not a Ritz Carlton. You know, I've got a construction company. I've got very tight margins. And if I start giving my construction guys a $2,500, you know, leeway, I'm going to be out of business. And I think it's important to bring that in and explain that it's not necessarily that's your dollar amount. Correct. Based on your industry, based on your margins, based on your expectations, based on the level of work that's necessary to correct an issue as it climbs the ladder, if you will, the increased level of requirement, right? Because part of it, I would suspect, is, well, if I can correct this issue at, at this level, by the time it gets to the GM, right, it's not, oh boy, now we have a much bigger if issue. If an opportunity gets to me, we have failed. I don't check in gas, right? I mean, I certainly love the lobby. I love it passionately. It is the heart and soul of the hotel. But if my ladies and gentlemen don't engage, and I don't just say take care of meaning solve problems. I mean, if they don't take some nugget of information that they learned about the guest and create something magical and memorable and delightful about it, we failed, right? So I think personally, if people are so focused on, I can't empower you for 2000. My company's not like that. Make it simple and show them that you trust them is what is going to make them take care of the guest. It's not the dollar value, and people get so fixated on that. So what you're saying is, oh, I trust you up to $100, but then after that 125 you have to ask me. (laughs) I mean, it's really bananas, (laughs) right? So it's the practice of showing them you trust them. And I certainly ask questions of my ladies and gentlemen. I read every report where we had a service failure, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we gave away that night's day. We must have really made a mistake. So I absolutely ask questions about it. But I don't ask questions to say, why did you give them the night stay? I say, what did we do? How did we fail them? What did the guest experience? Shame on us. Let's record that defect. Let's ask ourselves five times why so that we can ensure that defect doesn't happen again. It has nothing to do with the employee that made the decision to comp this day. 
thank God the employee made the decision to comp this day. Now what we have to focus on why the defect happened at all, yeah. right? Simplicity is best. You can't say you, you trust and then say, well, I'll give you a great example. Someone on my team sent flowers to a guest, right? Wanted to delight them. They had learned that they lost a family member, right? And so they sent flowers. They had a relationship with the florist, sent flowers. So the employee said, maybe reimbursed. And we said, absolutely, of course. Well, what was a learning for that employee is we have a relationship with the florist that the billing set up, right? It's streamlined, right? You can call and they, you know, give us really expedient service. And so this employee used their empowerment and called their friend, right, and ordered flowers. And it took us probably two weeks to pay that vendor that we don't have a relationship. And the employee said, I'm frustrated, Ms. Joyner. I use my empowerment. And I said, absolutely. And here's my credit card, and we'll take care of them. But if you just ask a question, raise your hand to your leader, like, I would like to do this for my guests. Can you help me do it? so that I can do it in the most efficient, effective, streamlined way, right? Then we won't frustrate maybe someone we don't have a partnership that took two weeks to get paid, right? But it's a give and take. I was so proud of the employee that made the decision to send the flowers to the guests. That's what matters, right? Is that they made that decision and the guest was blown away. I got a letter written to me about that employee, but we ask questions and we make sure that we do things in a streamlined way, but that doesn't mean we don't trust you. Right. Two different things. Well, you hit on so many different yeah. thoughts here, which one, I think the fact that you called them opportunities. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. We have, they are. Yeah, we tend to look at when we have a service failure or some kind yeah. of a failure as though, oh no, we really missed it. And then we lament over it rather than looking at how can we make an opportunity out of this situation, sure. right? And that's one I'd love for your feedback on. And the other is it's an experience within an experience. Mm. Part of what you're saying is that we are going to hold one another accountable. For sure. Absolutely. Yep. And so there's all these different levels of accountability. In other words, we're accountable to where we missed it as a team. Mm -hmm. We take ownership. Mm -hmm. We're accountable for how we attempted to resolve and create mm -hmm. an opportunity out of it. And then we're going to analyze it. Just like if you were sure. a football team, right? 100%. Looking at old plays. And saying, okay, well, this play didn't work in this game, but we, guess what? We've got another game coming up Absolutely. tomorrow. We've got to suit up. We're playing against the same team we played at before. Absolutely. And so how can we as a team make it into the end zone, right? 100%. How can we score? And I love the communal aspect of it. I love the aspect of really looking at data and sure. not just making it subjective. Here's our objective situation, and here's where we can make that better for the next experience. There's so much here, but let's just start with the opportunity piece. Yeah, yeah. So it is. It's a gift. Anytime a guest gives us feedback about their experience, positive, negative, impactful in any way, shape, or form, it's a gift. And we thank them for that because we are... 300 humans taking care of guests that stay in our rooms, 300 guest rooms, right? So of course we're going to make a mistake and it's unintentional. Oops, we didn't mean to, right? And so it's always a gift and we celebrate when guests give us feedback. We celebrate the recording of defects. I welcome it. In fact, in our lineups, if we only have two sort of, we, and we have a whole reporting process, right? But if we only have two defects, I'm like, you, it's not true. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to be kidding me. We're sold out. We're completely sold out with a group, right? Or we have, you know, a wedding in the hotel and only two people had an opportunity that happened. I don't believe it. So we have to give ladies and gentlemen, employees, a safe space to record defects. So often you'll hear things like ladies and gentlemen will say, oh, I don't need to record the defect, Mr. Turner, because we solved it. 
And they'll be mad that I said, oh, you know, room service delivered the steak and it was made medium instead of medium rare. And the chef will be upset because they didn't mean to do it. I was like, no, no, you've misunderstand. Of course, the line cook didn't mean to cook it improperly. Of course not. Right. But did we teach that person? Is something wrong with the oven? We need to talk about it. Right. Is it their first day on the job? What happened? Right. Was something frozen and we didn't defrost it? I mean, my gosh, we could unpack that all day long. But The point is we have to give ourselves a safe space to truly record defects so that we can analyze why it happened. At the core, ladies and gentlemen want to do good things. They come in every day. Nobody wants to do a bad job. And those days where we all have outside influences in our life, you come in, you had a fight with your son before you came to work. You're like, oh, right? We do hold each other accountable, but accountable in a positive way, right? We all have to be role models of the behavior that we want right? We have to encourage each other, recognize each other for the behaviors that we want. I think motivate by inspiring and rewarding the behavior we want, not focusing on the one we don't want. It's the carrot stick whole thing, right? It, you know? Yeah. So when you hail people and say, oh my gosh, look at this behavior, look at this behavior. People are like, I want to be recognized, right? And it's that whole philosophy. So yes, when guests give us feedback, it is an opportunity for us to figure out how to resolve it and eliminate it from ever happening again. And the type of industry that we are in, that is forever ongoing till the end of time. We will never be perfect. We will never have perfect processes. Well, and failure is not final. It's feedback, yeah, right? It's sure, only final when course. you give up. Yeah, and yeah. so as guests, so this last uh, month, I invited my leadership group. I have yeah. a mastermind group who have a retreat every four months. Yeah. And we do a fully immersive retreat. So I take them to some place that I think is going to help them grow as leaders. Mm-hmm. And so this last retreat in October, I took them to the Ritz yeah. to do a leadership retreat at the Ritz, what I would consider a full immersion in an experience mm-hmm. that, at least from an outward perspective, promotes excellence. But that wasn't enough just to have a group at the retreat. I invited every group member who was coming in from out of town to stay at the Ritz on me. Wow. But there was a catch. They had to do recon. So they had to mingle with other guests, talk with staff members, identify and record what some of the factors were that they mm. considered different than what they'd experienced in other hotel brands and then share them with How'd the group. How'd we do? How'd you do? <laughs> of course. So- Different people had different things to say, of course. One of the group members said he was absolutely delighted at where the lights were when he went into his room. Mm. He's like, you know, I'm going to these hotels and he travels a lot. In fact, about every call we take with him, every coaching call, I joke around and say, you're always in a Uber or at the Mm. airport, right? He's always traveling. He's like, Nate, you know, I was at the Ritz. I didn't have to find where all these light switches Mm. were all around. Yeah. And then the bathroom, he's like, everything was perfectly placed, right? right? And- Another guest was his hotel stay. There was the date was incorrect in the computer. Mm. And he was a little nervous. And the front desk person said, no worries. We've got you covered. We keep a bank of rooms Mm, for mm, situations mm. like this. Mm. We're going to make sure you're taken care of. As opposed to, we're totally full. Sorry, here's your money back. There's embassy suites just up the road, right? And another individual was just mingling with staff members and other guests asking, you know, why are you here? Mm. You know, what, and so having these conversations around, I'm here because this atmosphere is the kind of atmosphere that I know that I can do my best possible work. 
you're getting this this type of feedback and you know that doesn't happen accidentally mm-hmm. i wonder how much of approaching the experience from the eyes of the guest is involved because clearly you have to do that. You have everything. to walk into a room and say, okay, everything. what is everything that I would want to see? How would I want yeah. this to look for me to have the best possible experience? Yeah, it's everything. And the guest, by the way, is internal and external, right? So for we'll talk sure. Talk about that for just a yeah. moment because yeah. your credo and mm. your card, I love your card, mm. first of all. Just a piece of paper. It's just a piece of paper, right? It's, 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 the, it's the actions <laughs> Everyone and thinks the beliefs, it's the piece right? of paper, sir. Right. They do. They're yes. like, oh, I want a card. I want yeah. a card. It's not yeah. the card. It's, it's what the card It's what the card represents and embodies, right? For sure. And, and, and it's the upholding it, of what it means. Absolutely. 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 Yeah, yeah. But on that card, yeah. a lot of things, there's a lot on that card, but you've got ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, yes, Ladies sir. and gentlemen, mm-hmm. serving mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I want to talk about that. I yeah. also want to talk about the third part of that credo. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about serving ladies and gentlemen. What does that mean? Why? So it came, it's funny enough, for our company, it was the first panel on the card before the credo itself. Ironically enough, a lot of people don't know that, but it came from the founder of our company, Mr. Schultz, right? So he grew up in Germany. He was a kid working in a restaurant, right? And I was a busboy, and uh, he's like, you know, cleaning a table, right? And he looks over and he sees the maitre d', beautiful Italian suit, great presence, and he's looking at this podium, right? The big book, you know, no open table, you know, uh, iPods as you check into a restaurant, right? And so he's cleaning the table and he looks up and the maitre d' engages with a guest and says, welcome to the restaurant. And Mr. Schultze literally has an epiphany. And he's like, oh my gosh, this fine gentleman is greeting and welcoming this service professional. He wrote a paper for school about Ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. And at the core, we are not servants to our guests. We are the finest service professional. So we're equal to our guests. The guest, external that is. And when I describe external guest, I mean a guest that's paying for some sort of experience, whether they're dining in the restaurant, staying in a hotel, becoming a member of our private cigar club, coming to have an $18 glass of wine in the lobby lounge. Why would a guest come to the hotel to have an $18 glass of wine? when you could go to Schnucks and buy a whole bottle. In fact, I just found a Sauvignon Blanc, which I like, for $3.99 at Fresh Market. Why would I come to the Ritz-Carlton for an $18 glass of wine? It is irrational. And I think the answer, maybe you can tell me, you tell me, right? Because I want to feel special. I want an experience. I want to treat myself. And in fact, when Miss Denise welcomes you into the lobby lounge, it says, oh, Miss Joyner, you were here a week ago with a Sauvignon Blanc. I have the Whitehaven you prefer, but we just got in this new French bottle. Would you like to try a glass? I'm like, oh, she remembers me. She used my name. She made me feel special. And then I irrationally buy two glasses for $36 because I want to treat myself. I want to feel special, right? For just a moment, an escape, an oasis, right? So yes, our ladies and gentlemen are not servants. They are service professionals, the finest We are always trying to make them the best possible people they can be and give them the opportunity to learn and grow and be exposed to things. But that's how it came about, right? That's how it came on the card. And it is the difference when you're in orientation. And I say, this is what I say. I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen, how does it make you feel? And usually responses are, well, I kind of sit up in my chair. I put my shoulders back, right? I 
like you want to rise up to be that respect that's given you, right? But the magic of ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen is not Amanda Joyner, the general manager, walking around and saying, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, to the employees. Good morning, Jeremy, Jerome, how are you today? And they say, oh, good morning, Ms. Joyner, back. That is not the magic of our motto at all. It is when no one is looking, no one is around, and the dishwasher walks by the server in the heart of the house, and the server walks by and says to the steward, you know, good morning, and the steward doesn't say anything. And the dishwasher says, or the server says, well, wait, wait, wait. Hey, are you okay? Mm. Joe, are you all right? Because I just said good morning to you, and you didn't say anything to me. And at that moment, that is when ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen is really comes to life. And we talk about that in orientation. Don't come back on the second day. If you're not prepared in that moment to ask your colleague how you're doing, do not let someone disrespect you, because that's what it is. If you say good morning, good afternoon to someone as they walk by and they don't respond, what? Hi, good morning. So if you want a positive work environment, you have to contribute to it and give respect and get respect. And one of two things will happen, right? That server that says to the steward, are you okay? You didn't say good morning. And the steward says, no, I'm not okay. The dish machine's down. I'm going downstairs to the storage room because I don't have any bread and butter plates. And I'm so sorry I didn't say good morning, but like, we're going down. The server will say, absolutely, I have your back. 911, we're going to, uh, let me get on the radio. We'll all come to the dish room and see what we can do to help you. That's the magic right there. But if they don't say that, say, oh, sorry, man, I didn't see you. Okay, right? So you have to be uncomfortable. Be, it's not your manager's job for, to make sure that you respect each other. You have to do it. And that's why I think it's so special working there because all the ladies and gentlemen agree with that philosophy. They pledge, they say that creative, they're committed to it. And they say, wow, it is really different here. Wow, when I need help, someone helps me. Wow, when I'm having a bad day, someone will say, Mr. Turner, are you okay today? I know you, you just don't sound the same. This actually happened to me one day. I was walking through the heart of the house and I was like, oh, good morning is wonderful uh, banquet server at Hanit. She's fantastic. And I was like, oh, good morning, how are you? And she's like, I'm good, you okay today, Mr. Turner? I was like, yeah, I'm great. Went to my office, she came to my office. She said, Ms. Joyner, do you have a minute? I was like, absolutely. How, are you okay? What can I do for you? And she said, are you okay? I'm great. Why? And she said, I don't believe you. I literally, I stopped in my tracks. I had a lot on my mind. And she said, I just, I know you and that energy in your voice. I just, can I get you a cup of coffee? My God, I cried because I knew, right? That philosophy is not just something we talk about, right? It's there. And yeah, yeah so that's where it all comes that's from. That's so special. And but it's a commitment. It's a commitment, 100%. And when you come through the door, even when you're in a bad mood, you got to decide, like, do I really care or just do I say I care? There's a big difference between I say I care and my actions really speak to it. Yeah. And the vetting piece is so critical. I love the challenge early on. And it reminds me of Tony Shea with Zappos. There's a company that some people will be familiar with. Eventually, they started with shoes and then yeah. they grew. And of course, eventually... Amazon bought them for a mm. billion dollars. I actually didn't know Amazon yeah, bought them. Huh? Yeah. And Tony Shea, who is the uh, CEO, passed away, but he didn't want Amazon. He said, you can buy us, but you can't have our culture. Mm. So allow us to keep our Very culture. True. And part of their culture was he was known for, after orientation, offering new hires a certain sum of money. I think it was like $2,000 or $2,500, and he kept raising it to quit. Say, so if you'll take this money today, and quit, mm. then like, I'll free your future. And it's a similar philosophy mm-hmm. in that he was vetting mm. 
his new hires to see how committed they yeah, were sure. to the company, the yep. vision, the mission, and values, and not just a quick buck. How many of our organizations are we really doing that as gatekeepers? Yeah. And then once we've invited them into the community to share in the values, share in the culture, giving them permission to thrive in care. Because what happened in that moment, in that beautiful story that you told, is we witnessed a top-down leadership approach that empowers, embodies that philosophy through and through, all the way from the founder to the GM and everywhere along the lines is there's an equality. We have different roles. We're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. We have this equality of care so that you've given permission to a staff member to share that same level of care to you. Because in some organizations, let's just call it what it is, right? That would be completely taboo. You going to the general manager and asking them how they're feeling and then calling them out when they're saying that they're okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's funny that you say top-down organization. We are not a top-down organization. We are a bottom-up, right? So I am the least powerful person in the room. And I'm not just saying that, oh, I'm the GM and they're gonna think it's really cool I said that. And it's not about that, right? The most powerful people are in our organization are the people that are directly speaking to the guests, period. They have the power. They know what the guests want. They know what the guests need. They know where the opportunities are, period, the end. So if we are a top-down organization, we're failing. We are a bottom-up organization. The strength is in the masses of ladies and gentlemen, 40,000 ladies and gentlemen that interact with the guests every single day. Not someone up top that says, I trust you and I empower you. Mm, That is not who we are. And if that is what ladies and gentlemen think, then I have failed as their leader without question. Well, I'm glad you said that because as we talked about before we went on air, servant leadership is a philosophy that that I've embraced and studied at length. And so some of our listeners will have heard this, but again, it's worth repeating. Servant leadership is the complete opposite of our pyramid style, where the top is the ownership and then the general leadership and then management, middle management, and so on and so forth till you get to the front line. Servant leadership is the opposite. Servant leadership is flips the pyramid to where the leadership team mm-hmm. is at the bottom in the roots nourishing mm-hmm. so that the roots get the nourishment they need so that they build strong branches to bear good fruit to bear to all of the stakeholders. Sure. And that's exactly what you're describing, yeah. right? For sure. Without question. They are the ones that create magic. Look, we're not a lodging solution. You know, We don't sell hotel rooms. That's not what I'm in the business of doing. That's not what Ritz-Carlton is in the business of doing. We are here to inspire our guests' journey of life. And it's a pretty lofty statement, right? Our vision statement to inspire life's most meaningful journeys. If you think about that, it's like, wow, what's that, right? So the journey of life that our guests are on, whatever it might be, that's what we're here for, right? And that doesn't happen anywhere else than with the ladies and gentlemen building a relationship, creating the functional needs, right, of the guests, meeting the, I feel safe, I'll, I feel secure. Once I feel safe and secure, then I you start to trust me. And I start to trust you as a guest. And then I tell you about myself. And then the ladies and gentlemen learn something about you. And they they do something with that information. They create something truly powerful and magical. So what we have at Ritz-Carlton that nobody else has is the ladies and gentlemen. That's what we have. That's what we have. That's our secret sauce. It's the ladies and gentlemen. And the trust and empowerment, yes, we give them. But we expect them to act on it. When they don't, 
right? If our ladies and gentlemen go through all day and just do function all day long and they never surprise, delight, anticipate, put themselves in the shoes of the guests, we failed because our guests will not pay a premium for fine. They won't. It's just not worth it. Yeah, they won't. They won't. And and nor should they. Right. And nor should they, right? So, yeah, I go to work every day and I know that I have to be really careful not to disappoint my employees. That's what I need to do every day. I love it. Yeah, and there's a transformation that's happening here too. You know, I think it's important for us to share that. You know, we're transforming not only the guest experience, but from the external guest, if you yeah, will. Sure, but sure. as you stated kind of in passing, that you know, you've got a guest who are your members of your team. Yeah, right. Sure, sure. And you're creating an experience for them as well. Yeah. You're transforming lives. Let's just call it what it is. Mm. Because when we elevate people beyond what they hoped or thought was possible for their own lives for their own sense of well-being, for their own sense of belonging, for their own sense of accomplishment and commitment, we're participating in transformational leadership. And the cost, some people would push back. Somebody would listen and say, well, I just can't afford it. And I think that's- Afford what? Afford all of the work required to get my Mm. people to this level. And if we really break it down, like what does it cost to not do it, right? What does it cost Mm. to not- bring your people into a position to where they can be at their best. And there's an old saying between a a CFO and a CEO having a budget meeting and the CFO is complaining about all the costs for continuing education and training and and said, you know, what if we spend all this money on training and they leave? And of course, CEO has much bigger vision. He said, what if we don't and they stay? Because we don't and they stay, then we get mediocre. And so preparing for excellence, and you can speak on this, the cost is, it's a non-discussion. Really, I mean, you're going to invest in people, and if they're concerned about them leaving, how about not investing them in them and being concerned about them staying? Yeah, it's interesting. Someone far smarter than I in my company will tell you what the cost of our onboarding is. I, I don't know, three, five thousand dollars something like that. I don't know that I know that off the top of my head, but what you're saying just doesn't resonate with me, right? Like, I can't afford to invest in them, and so. I think what our philosophy is to teach them how to use their own intuition, their own relationship building skills to take care of the guest. And so it's sort of like, well, if I don't teach you how to take care of the guest, then I don't have as many guests. So I suppose if someone looked at the performance of my hotel and said, why is it above the market? We could all just run the same occupancy. We could all just charge the same rate. We could all just have same, same, same. And I think the reason why people might invest with us is because we can deliver better profit leadership, right? But the way we deliver better profit leadership is with a philosophy of empowerment, trust, integrity of our ladies and gentlemen. And so because it is so much the DNA of who we are, it's sort of like, how much does it cost to teach my employees empowerment, it's free. It's like a struggle with that because it's just, I can't imagine doing it another way. It's like, how can you afford not to, right? right? But it's interesting. And I get asked this all the time, just like, how do you do it? And I think the brand Ritz Carlton, I didn't create the gold standards, but I believe them. I believe in them. They've transformed my life as a person. I'm a different person. I'm sure I'm a different mother. My husband would laugh and say, oh my gosh, she's definitely a different wife, right? But I believe in the essence of how we take care of guests, which means each other so much. It's just who we are that I can't imagine doing it another way. Even if I went to embassy suites, it just, it doesn't matter. 
it is who we are as the DNA. And I'm a person who got mediocre grades in high school. For sure, I was not an A student. Struggled my freshman year in college. I eventually kind of got Bs, but I was not an A student. And I'm the general manager of a multi-million dollar hotel. And and not only are you a general manager, yeah, yeah. but little birdie told me that mm. your hotel here in St. Louis mm, mm. has got some accolades. We do okay. <laughs> we do okay. We do. But we're focused on the guest experience. And we, our ladies and gentlemen are focused on it. They're the finest service professionals. Yeah. I mean, we take very seriously the measurement of satisfaction with our guests. Mm. And we define satisfaction. We describe it as intention to recommend. So if you are wildly happy with your experience, you'll tell your friends and family about it. Your intention to speak positively is high. And so we pay a lot of attention to that because that will determine if we have happy guests, if the guests will come back, and we can then deliver profit leadership. But I am smart enough to realize I'm not the smartest person in the room. Everybody has their place. Everyone has their expertise. And all of those 47 different nationalities in our hotel is what allows us to act on the unique needs of the guest because they truly are unique. Every guest that checks in is different than the other. And yeah, the ladies and gentlemen are amazing. Yeah. I'm so proud of them. They're amazing. Well, and it's important not to be the smartest person in the room. My philosophy is if you're the smartest person in the room, it's time, maybe time to find another room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good thinking. Yeah. So this idea of learning from one another, learning from your people. There's so much to be gained from having, again, the permission to give feedback within the organization and to grow because that feedback loop helps us to progress. And progress is at the heart of leadership, right? Progress is the heart of any destination, any journey. You want to go to a better future state. No one wants to follow anyone to a worse place. You want better. And so we work as a team because we construct that shared vision together within our mission, our vision, our values based on what kind of data we're getting. And I love that you use data and that the experience is holistic, right? Everyone contributes and participates in creating an amazing experience, which leads me to that third credo. I don't recall the exact wording. Yeah, tell me. (laughs) I don't remember. Which one? Yeah. The one where you talk about satisfying unexpected needs or there's a language that you use yeah, it's really special wishes unexpressed yeah, wishes yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. so that's unexpressed the third wishes. sentence yes. in the credo yes. right yeah so yeah i think success ultimately is about creating an experience for a guest that maybe they didn't articulate they needed themselves it truly is the art of anticipation right where we put ourselves in the shoes of the guest and think to myself you know, what would I want, right? And so I use at orientation a really simple example, right? Always, every time I teach orientation, and I teach it every time, right? Which is, we know nothing about a guest, nothing, other than he or she is coming to St. Louis for a job interview. We know nothing about them. What does the guest need? What do they need? They're coming and staying at the hotel, and they're here for a job interview. Ladies and gentlemen, sit there for a moment. I say, okay, so tell me about that. When you came for your job interview at the hotel, how did you know where you were going? Oh, well, I knew the address. Okay, so the guests might need directions. How did you get to your job interview? I I drove here. I took the train. I I took the bus. Okay, so this guest is staying at the hotel, so how are they going to get to their job interview? Oh, maybe transportation, taxi, limo, Uber. Okay, great. So let's put ourselves in their shoes, right? So when you came for your job interview, 
to meet with your now manager that hired you, right? Did you pick up sweatpants off the ground and put them on? Oh, no, no, no. I put on, I picked what I felt was the nicest outfit. Great. So our guest is staying here. What do they need? Oh, dry cleaning service, suit pressed, need to go shopping. Great. So when you came to your job interview, what did you bring with you? I brought my resume. Oh, okay. So do they need printing service? Right. So we go through orientation, tons of examples where we say, let's put ourselves in the shoes of the guest and say, what would I need or want? That's anticipation, right? Before someone says, oh, can I please have a quiet room? I'm here in a job interview. Absolutely. I've put you in a quiet room so you can focus. Great. My name is Amanda. Have a great day. I mean, honestly, everybody does that. That's not rare and special. And it's certainly not something I pay a premium for. You gave me just what I asked for. Thank you so much. (laughs) Great. I got a quiet room away from the elevator. Great. That's good. Please don't misunderstand me. We have to do that. We have to deliver what you expect. But to make it memorable, for you to tell your friends and family about it, and for you to go out of your way to stay at another Ritz-Carlton, maybe isn't the perfect location, right? Or when I have business downtown St. Louis, I'm going to drive six or eight miles to Clayton and stay at the Ritz-Carlton, maybe less convenient, but I went to because they deliver on my unexpressed wishes and needs. Guests may not know that's why they choose to stay with us, but if they experienced the brand, they felt the brand, then that's why they do it is because we acted upon that unexpressed. And you have to be really careful to pinch yourself because sometimes you could go through a day and you go through engaging with guests and you give them exactly what they asked for. And you're like, oh, I'm so great. I gave them exactly what they asked for. Okay. Careful. They might not pay a premium for getting exactly what they asked for. A clean room is quiet. Great. It's not memorable. So there's definitely a intentionality about listening about observing body language absolutely putting yourself in their shoes absolutely all that for sure just even the nuances of maybe some of their what they're saying about their lives right different things and one thing that struck me was the intentionality about remembering the name yeah for sure because that's something which is not common in fact when people remember your name you feel special right why (laughs) Because most people don't, right? Because if everybody remembered everyone's name, yeah. it wouldn't be special. Yeah. But it's because there's a lot going on in that initial, I've analyzed this, like why don't we remember names? Because so much is going on in that initial interaction, right? You're looking to shake a hand or you're trying to get eye contact and there's so much stimuli coming in that their name is like, oh, they told me their name and now I've forgotten it, right? So it takes a great deal of focus and energy mm-hmm. to lock that in. And once it's locked in, sharing it again is, it's an olive branch to say, I've taken the time to care about you. Absolutely. You've said it so beautifully. There is no sweeter sound to a guest. I mean, think about it. Guests come to hotels, not been to a city or destination before, don't know the hotel. They're uncomfortable. They're out of their environment. They're nervous, right? Just all, so we're welcoming into we hope becomes their home away from home. So it's okay. Welcome. I don't know your name. I've never met you before. I'm Amanda. How are you? And your name? Oh my goodness. Welcome to the Ritz Carlton. I mean, it's just the foundation for the wheels to begin to churn so that they feel safe, trusted. There's a relationship form. You have my name tag. You can see it. I'm transparent. We're not that company that everyone's cool and wears black and we don't wear our name tags. That makes me crazy. <laughs> right? I, I say that to my ladies and gentlemen all the time, like why it's a requirement. It's one of the four rules of the job. You have to have your name tag on because the guests are nervous, right? And we're trying to make them feel safe, secure, comfortable so that they want to talk to us, build a relationship, then we can act on it, 
right? Whatever that clue nugget is what they call it, right? So that they want to come back, right? And they spend more money with us, more time with us, and we become their brand of choice in all aspects of their life, their business, their personal, leisure, any aspect of life that they may have. I want to get a contract signed for my company. I want to get promoted. I'm kind of going to go to the Ritz-Carlton to do that because I know they'll take care of me. They remember me. They know my preferences. They make me feel comfortable. Yeah. I'm like, wow, I feel like a VIP just because I came back somewhere. Well, we had the immense privilege of your HR director, Mm, Mr. Roller, uh, Mr. Roller, Mr. Dane Roller, spent time with us and shared some of the insight on the experience Mm. especially for our group it's important as entrepreneurs really understanding and unpacking some of the benchmarks for excellence in different industries none of our group members are in the hotel industry but Mm. certainly i would divide this for any listener go outside of your industry your context to gain benchmarks from other industries and bring them back into your fold because and i can go on and on about companies who have done this southwest and others chick-fil-a who have, who have become industry leaders through identifying benchmarks in other areas and integrating them. And one thing that Dane said, which was really impactful, he talked about the home atmosphere. He said, you know, you'd think that people would want to be at their own house, but what really is a differentiator is that if they were back at home when they were at mom's house, you know, mom is going to take care of you, right? If the TV doesn't work, mom is going to find another TV. Absolutely. If something is broken or something is not right, yeah. she's going to find a way to fix it because she loves her baby. Yeah. And I thought, wow, like putting that into terms of a, this is a widget in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, business is a widget in the way that it's a product or service, right? Mm-hmm. But when you personalize it in such a way mm-hmm. that it makes it so intimate and then you own it, he made the example of if someone comes to the front desk and they say, my TV is not working, the front desk person will say, I'm sorry, my TV isn't working. They take ownership. And it's like, because you're representing mama and mama's house, if you will. Yeah, and of yeah. course, there's all different ways to describe this. Yeah, but yeah sure, sure, sure. It's true. Just wow. Yeah, I mean, he's, I think he's describing kind of our three steps of service, right? When you think about going to, so that's sort of the how we do it, right? So the credo is the philosophy of what our mission is, our purpose, like why are we here, right? But the three steps of service, which is also one of our gold standards, is the how, right? So so many employees or ladies and gentlemen say, well, gosh, okay, that's great. I care about the guests, but I don't know if I know how to do it, right? And the how is really those three magical steps, which is, you know, imagine you go to your grandmother's house, right? And you haven't been there and you go to her front door. She opens the door. And what does she say? She's like warmly and sincere. She's like, oh, Amanda. Like she's so happy to see you, right? Well, that's pretty simple. That's what we do with our guests. They're no different. Like warm and sincere greeting. Like I genuinely really care. And that's really what we talk about after the first day of orientation, when we teach the gold standards, is we really ask that question. Do you really care about the guests? Do you say you care or do you really care? Like fake or real? Because if you really don't care about that concept of serving guests, please don't come back tomorrow because you're hated here because that's what we do all day. Take care of real internal guests or real external guests. It doesn't matter, right? But that whole concept of warm and sincere greeting is just genuine. If I don't know your name, it's okay. I'm Amanda and you are, oh gosh, wonderful doctor. So nice to see you, right? But that warm and sincere greeting and then you go into your grandmother's house and what has she done for you? 
What's there in her home? Oh man, she's dialed it in. Yeah, what's yeah. she done? Yeah, she she made something. She, she cooked for you. What she cooked for you? Yeah, she made my favorite dish, which is well, I mean, my family's Palestinian, so it's called upside down. Oh, so fantastic. it would be it's this rice dish with all these vegetables, and it's just and all the trimmings and fixings, and it's like it's huge too, by the way. And when like you go, days. no matter what time of day, you know she's going to make upside down, right? Hundred percent. Like you could count on it. You don't say it. She doesn't tell. Same thing, right? My grandmother was a bartender, right? She used to make spaghetti. And I knew that pot was on her oven. You walk in, you're like, oh, we're having spaghetti, right? And I don't know. My grandmother, was her house all made up for you? Was it clean and ready? Yeah, my grandmother worked till 2 o'clock in the morning. Her house was spotless. The spare bedroom was made up, and I wasn't spending the night. She's like, oh, Mandy. I'm like, I'm not spending the night, Grandma, right? But that's just it. Warm and sincere greeting anticipation and fulfillment of guest wishes and needs. So that upside down was there for your mouth was watering. You knew you were going to have it. You're going to take some in a go box or write a Tupperware with you right outside the door. And then when it was time to leave, she's like, you know, thank you. Why are you coming? (laughs) It is the same thing in how we take care of our guests. That's the how we warm and sincere greeting, anticipation and fulfillment of guest wishes and needs and a fond farewell and appreciating that they made that choice to stay with us. But that juicy middle part, that anticipation, that's where the unexpressed comes in. Because if there's no anticipation, it's not special, it's not different, so it's just fine. So that's the part they're not going to pay for. Thank you for staying with us. Your room is quiet. You won't hear the elevator. Have a great day. There's nothing memorable, which means you won't tell your friends and family about it, which means you won't come back. And you'll go somewhere cheaper. There's so many cheaper options than the Ritz-Carlton. But it's not an experience. Our widget is an experience. Yep. It's not a hotel room. And I've experienced hotels in this same class or category or space. Mm. And I've honestly, I've been disappointed mm. in the last year, especially you know, post-pandemic yeah. and during the pandemic, yeah. a lot yeah. has fallen off. And we're talking about a Lowe's hotel or a Ritz-Carlton. And I hadn't stayed at the Ritz-Carlton yet, but I'd stayed at a lot of these other hotel chains and I'd found, wow, you know, Boy, some of the standards have been compromised. Mm. You know, what about at the Ritz during the pandemic and following? I mean, were the standards changed? Changed. Yeah. So I would say, to the best of our ability, knock on wood, services were not changed. They may have been a bridge, and I'll sort of talk about that. But I tell you, welcoming guests to your home when you have a mask on, we had lots of discussions. I went on vacation, I went somewhere to be nameless. I stayed in a hotel and they took coffee makers out of the rooms, right? Because it was like, can you sanitize a coffee maker, right? No problem. My my pleasure. I waited in line to get a cup of coffee in the morning. I went to the lobby. They had free coffee. They made it per cup. And as I was standing in the lobby, there was like 10 of us in line and we're all six feet apart, (laughs) social distanced, right? I was happy to be away. So I didn't care, right? I wasn't disrupted or bothered. And people walked by. And those people I knew worked there because they had name tags on. They walked by, and here we are, 15 people in a line. Nobody said good morning. Nobody said, how are you? Smile, no engagement. We all had our masks on, and all the employees at this particular hotel had their masks on. And I came back, and I said, ladies and gentlemen, we're, like, scared. We have our masks on, and all of a sudden, it's like, I don't want to touch you. Oh, my gosh. And we have to realize that we have to work harder with our masks on to be more animated. Our eyes have to say we care. We talked about this for a month 
Because all of a sudden you put a mask on, it was like, good afternoon, how are you? It's like, ew, we don't want to touch each other. We're going to be in it. And being genuine and extending ourselves with a mask on, nothing was different. Our gold standards never changed, never changed. But we had to teach ourselves through body language and more charismatic and voice tone, right? If that was not normally your nature, a little quieter, and you're like, good afternoon, welcome to the Ritz Carlton, and you have a mask on, they can't hear you. So we talked a lot about that, right? But yeah, some things changed, right? So for example, we used to have stocked mini cabinets with like snacks and treats. And so we took those out so it was sanitized because as a snicker bar left, like, well, can I sanitize a snicker bar? Then the paper's not of good quality, right? So we instead implemented snack delivery without a charge. We still charge for the snack, but we would deliver it to you, right? So some things changed, but we cleaned all of our guest rooms. We really let the guests decide the experience that they wanted. So if a guest didn't want anyone to enter the room, we didn't. If they wanted us to enter the room, we did, right? So we changed things a bit to adopt to the guests, right? So some innovation that came out was what's called contactless check-in through our Bonvoy app, so our loyalty program. You can check into the hotel without having to come to the desk. That's great. Not every guest wants to check in without coming to the desk, but there are certainly some guests that do. So if that's something that you value, we offer it to you. Is it required? Absolutely not. So like anything, right, we offer choices based on what's wonderful for the guest. But I may check in on my Bonvoy app and not come to the desk and get a key, but that doesn't mean that when I'm sitting in the lobby having a glass of wine, I don't want to be talked to and I don't want to be remembered and I don't want, you know, my favorite cookies in my room. Hasn't one has nothing to do with the other, yeah. right? Well, that proactivity I think is key that yeah. you identified. Look, there's gonna be times in every organizational life cycle where yeah. there's gonna be unknowns and unexpected. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's important to recognize, okay, here's our philosophy. Here's our mission, our vision, our values. Now, we have to make adjustments in how we deliver it. So let's think outside of the box. What's necessary for us to maintain the highest level of experience under these constrained conditions, right? Instead of saying, well, look, we're just going to get through it and it's going to be okay because everyone's going to be understanding. No, that's the easy way out. Have the conversations, right? Go through additional training, get the feedback, make changes, and likely through the innovation and the differentiation that has to make itself real, you may emerge even better than before you went into that high challenge situation. And ultimately, the guest really is the person that gives you the feedback, right? I mean, in the beginning, you know, you could tell guests didn't want you in their personal space. And so you would, you know, we would role play that. You know, are you comfortable? Can I do anything for you? And your gestures, like anything. And after a while, guests were like, I'm okay, right? We kept our masks on, right? Government regulations required it, right? And slowly but surely, it was through conversations with the guests that we knew what was right for that guest. And what was right for that guest was not right for another, right? Because we'd also have guests, I don't care what, I'm not wearing my mask, right? Okay. And so we knew that that guest wanted service in a different way. And I think that it's always about the guest. The guest tells you everything. They know. They tell you. Internal guests too, right? Ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Absolutely. And be grateful they're talking. Yes. Be grateful they're talking. The most harmful opportunities we have are guests that, you know, give us a six on a survey. And by the way, success is a nine or ten. 
an eight's failure. I don't know in school if I got an 80%, I thought I did pretty good, right? <laughs> right. So nine or 10 is irrational loyalty, right? That means they love you so much, they'll go out of their way to stay with you. So the most harmful is when someone gives us a six and they say nothing. We're like, what do we do? We look at our defect. What happened? Why are they a six? We lost them. And they say, don't contact me. Oh, we so failed big time, right? So when someone actually wants to talk to us, even if they give us a one, which is the worst, and they will let me talk to them, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful because whatever cues we missed, did something without intention, oops, 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 because we're humans, we can learn from it and evolve. When you get the six with basically, yeah. look, yeah. leave me alone forever, yeah. do you trace your steps? Do you just say, well... Yeah. Just had to figure it out. Yeah, we try yeah. to, right? Yeah. So we have systems and processes and we can look up and say, gosh, there were no defects recorded. Yeah. Oh gosh, there's nothing happened, right? There's nothing in the system. So then we talk about that at leadership. Great, okay, we just got five sevens. What does that mean? And there's no defects. What do you think about that? What should we do about that? We just open, ask open-ended questions. We, we yeah. talk about that, right? Yeah. And sometimes the guests might not give us feedback, but we'll say, oh gosh, ooh, the elevator broke down. The guests didn't tell us they were frustrated to have to wait on the elevator, but we know what happened, right? So we have a little bit of everything. The most important thing is, is that you have a culture where you report defects and you welcome it because none of us can remember what happened a week ago. Right. So when something is happening, we have to put that defect in. It's not even like, oh, oops, we checked a guest into a dirty room. I'd love to say that never happened at a Ritz-Carlton. It's happened before. I'm not proud of it. It has happened. Oops, the housekeeper punches in the phone. I need... Uh, new feather pillows. Oops, they pushed the wrong number and we told the system it was vacant and ready and inspected. Oops, and the guests checked in and there were no pillows on the bed. Unacceptable, right? So yes, defects happen, but we have got to report them. Even if you say, I am so sorry you didn't have pillows in your room and I brought you pillows and then I understood what your trip was and then I wrote you a note at night and I sent you cookies and I said, thank you for the feedback. But if you don't put that in the system, the next time they go to San Francisco, that hotel in San Francisco does not know that the guest checked into the Ritz-Carlton St. Louis and didn't have pillows on their bed. And so God help us, if that happens in San Francisco, they're going to go, what is wrong with this company? Right. right? Right. So we go through a whole process. Someone had a defect at another hotel, phone didn't work. Before they check in, we go check the phone. So can you imagine if you go to two hotels and the phone doesn't work? You're like, what is wrong with this? Yeah. So have to report the defects, record them. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you can't talk about it place. enough. <laughs> no, no, agreed. Yeah. And, and having that listening ear, having the For open sure. door, all of that flows into this. And someone listening might say, as we begin to close, yeah. this is so hard. There's so much work. You know, the truth is, the answer is yes, there is work involved. Mm. You cannot, mm. if you want to hit the easy button, yeah. just pre be prepared for mediocre. It's work, but it's rewarding work. It's work that pays sure. dividends. So yes, it's not easy rising to the top. No, but guess what happens when you rise? To, everyone rises with you. We all rise and we all get to experience an amazing life. And there's some that might say, well, I'm okay with a mediocre existence. And that's fine. That's you. But there's those of us, there's others of us who will rise to the challenge, who will accept it and say, boy, there's so much more to the potential I have. And I want to explore that potential. And I want to surround myself with others who will guide me, challenge me, encourage me, help prepare me, yeah. and experience the victory with me. I think it's interesting. You know, I don't spend all my time analyzing the financials. 
And maybe that's bad. Maybe that makes me a bad leader. But I spend most of my time figuring out how we're doing in the guest experience space because that's what we do. We provide an experience. The profit leadership will come if the guest experience is there. So yes, I analyze the P&L, but I have a financial leader who is my expert and resource, but that's not what I spend all my time doing. I spend my time understanding what my internal ladies and gentlemen, what their work environment is like, what it's like when they come in the door every day, how clean is it, what is, how does it feel, what's going, and we're not perfect, right? Uh, things happen, right? The loading dock is dirty this morning, the trash bin uh, missed the mark, and I came in and there was trash all over the loading dock. Well, guess what? That's how my employees walk to work every day, they walk by that. But that's what I'm focused on. I'm focused on what we do for a living, which is an experience. And that's the right focus. Yeah, I yeah, hope I can, so. I, can tell I you hope that, so. Uh, from um, the perspective of someone who's yeah in the leadership space, so. the financials are lagging indicators. Yeah, agreed. The, the, yeah, you know, absolutely. The, 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 it will come. That's right. For sure. And so, you know, I tend to look at financials as yes, you must know how the leading indicators, how I create this environment, will then translate into the lagging indicators financials. That's a very small part of the equation, right? It's an essential, a very important part, but. I'm focused on how can I create such a robust, healthy environment that the financial indicators, the lagging indicators are also healthy, right? On the backside of it. And so I think you're an effective leader, Amanda. Oh, I don't know about all that. (laughs) Tell me what my ladies and gentlemen say. Then I'll I'll believe you. That's right. They're awesome. Well, maybe you'll invite me to come by and visit with them too. Oh, I appreciate (laughs) it. Maybe. Yes, you're welcome. Anytime. Doors always open. We'd love to have you. So as we close, I'd like to ask you a question. It's deep. But I like to ask most of my guests this question. So one day you'll be on what we call the Great Summit, the end of the journey, right? Mm. You've experienced your life. You've built wonderful reputation. You've done all these things that you consider to be of value. Mm. If you look back and you're on that Great Summit, what would one thing that you would want people to have said about you? That I have integrity. Yeah, that I act with integrity. I don't cut corners that I was a good mother, but that I acted with integrity, right? That's it. I mean, it's not long-winded, but ultimately that's what it is, that I really did the right thing. And sometimes it's right thing is really obvious and sometimes it's not obvious. But if we all can act with respect and integrity, even if I make a mistake and I can own up to it, like an unintentional mistake, then... You know, I can look at myself in the mirror every morning and go, it's okay. I'll learn from it and grow. But I, if you don't have integrity, what do you have, right? Yeah. You know, much. It's the number one essential of leadership. And I believe you are on your way to that great summit. Oh, yeah. thanks. What thanks a privilege. Thanks so much for thanks, joining me. Thanks for inviting me. What a fun. wonderful, wonderful time together. Thanks. Thank you. Well, my friend, thank you for joining me on this episode of A Call to Leadership. If you've been listening, you've probably heard me talk about our accounting and advisory business. And this show was actually born out of that business, those relationships. I found that entrepreneurs and professionals were missing aspects of their leadership that fed into their bottom line and helped their businesses be successful. So I'm so thankful that I've had all those years in that area to feed into this. And the truth is that so many people still need accounting and advisory help and they don't know where to go. If you're in that place where you feel, oh my goodness, my tax person or my accountant, I can't find them, or maybe the service wasn't up to my expectations, do not despair. I'll leave how you can find us in the show notes. 
and one of my team members can do some discovery and help you along your journey. You're not alone, my friend. You always have help. I'm Dr. Nate Sala. Can't wait to see you on the next show of A Call to Leadership.